Welcome back to Boom Goddess Radio. This is Jennifer Davis Page, along with my partner, Dr. Andrea Gould-Marks, and we're sitting here in the studio with Dr. Christy Moore. Welcome back, Dr. Christy. Thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to part two of an amazing um, piece of, uh, of, of radio that's giving us lots of information on hearing and hearing loss and how we should check ourselves and what we should do. Uh, in case you did listen to part one, I urge you to listen to part one. It's fascinating. Just, fascinating. I just, want, just wanting to frame this also as such an education. It's like we spend more time on sex education, which, you know, at least we, you know, absolutely. Yes. It's a matter of survival. But somehow our ears have been sort of second-class citizens. Yes. So this is fascinating and necessary, absolutely. They really have been. Now, at the end of part one, we talked about the cochlear implant. And I've been asking lots of questions about what Medicare will cover and what Medicare will not cover. And Medicare so far is losing this game. (laughs) So now, uh, Dr. Christie, the implant, does Medicare cover the implant? Yes, Medicare covers the implant because it's considered a class three medical device. Therefore, it is covered by Medicare and most private insurances. Since it's a surgical component, um, that's the surgery, the device, and all of the rehabilitation and the processor is in, is covered by Medicare and those insurances, as well as the services that are done by the audiologist. Well, that's excellent news. They cover yes, something. I'm they really do. happy about that. That's great. Uh, but what they're replacing is the cochlear. The cochlea, that is correct. Which is part of the ear. That is right. <laughs> so it's a it's an, an internal electrode um, that has essentially 22 to 24 little um, you know, places where it's going into the inside of that cochlea and creating these electrical currents, which stimulates the uh, spiral ganglion of the auditory nerve to send that impulse to the brain as an electrical signal where it's then converted into recognizable speech. That's brilliant. I mean, why aren't we watching that on Nova? (laughs) (laughs) There's YouTube videos of it all over the place. Oh, right. Of course. (laughs) Stay tuned because Netflix Netflix pretty soon will have a show on that we can binge on. Probably they do. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably already there. It's already there. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think that, you know, our audience is going to be also very interested in our show notes on this because there's so many details, Dr. Christie, that you've been talking about. Right. You're such a wonderful educator. Thank you. You know, I mean, you know, very, very clear. Of course, your voice is very musical. <laughs> and of course, you were a musician. And I just, I love that interface. I, I love that we've got you and your talent converted into a service a medical service right. that we can enjoy and uh, and that you would understand how important sound is to yes. each of us. Yes. It's uniquely important to each of us in different ways. Let's and talk. So I'd like to understand. talk about children for a minute. We've talked about being over 65 and what Medicare will cover and will not cover. Let's talk about kids right now. Sure. Um, do you have other... When you when you see you said you had an eleven year old son. When you see children that age, um, five, six, seven, and teenagers, is there a reason? Because they would normally have healthy ears and hair is growing and all right, of that. Right. Is there any particular one reason why they would lose their 
hearing. Yes. So I will preface one thing to say, too, that um, pediatric audiology is quite a specialty in and of itself. And I'm not a pediatric audiologist, but I do see some children that are school age okay. of that read. But I all, I obviously had to learn all about pediatric audiology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so knowing that, yes, um, sometimes children are born with a hearing loss. Um, sometimes it's acquired due to infections, due mm-hmm. to diseases mm-hmm. or other environmental factors. Mm-hmm. And so um, sometimes it can be a processing disorder, meaning they hear their hearing is fine, but they're having trouble processing what is being said to them orally. And so they need some strategies to help them with that. So there can be a variety of reasons um, why children are going to have hearing loss, uh, whether it's genetic or whether it's caused by some other factor. All right. Now let's just talk about putting popsicle sticks in your ear. You know, when yep. we were kids, sure. we'd have a popsicle sticker, we'd have a Q-tip or we'd have Bobby whatever, pen. and we'd stick something down in our ear Yes, uh, to clean out the wax. That's yep. what your, you know, your grandmother used to tell you. Correct. Tell our listeners how bad that is for us. That's really bad. I can't even tell you how bad that is. Um, you run the risk of not only pushing the wax further into your ear, and you can also potentially uh, poke a hole in your eardrum, damage your hearing that way. So you don't want to stick anything in your ear at all, unless it's your elbow, which you can't do mm-hmm. very well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But th- there's good reasons why you shouldn't stick anything in your ear and why you should go to a hearing professional to have any earwax removed. Now, tell me about, I've had my ears cleaned out. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that process. Do you do that at your clinic? We do. And we have a couple of different uh, methods that we use to take earwax out of the ears, depending on um, the severity of the earwax. Um, Earwax is a natural substance that is created by our bodies as a cleaning agent to help move any uh, dry skin and other debris that gets into our ears. And so it's it's something that's good for our ears. It helps to keep it moisturized, helps to keep the pH balance correct in that environment. So you wanna have a little bit of it. The problem is, is when it builds up and becomes so thick and um, occluded to the point that it blocks your hearing ability. How do we avoid that? I mean, we brush our teeth, yep. we wash our face. What kind of daily uh, ear care do you recommend? Is there such a thing? Yeah. You know, sometimes you can't prevent your ears from building up a lot of earwax. Some people just do that. And so the best way is really is to not do anything as far as sticking anything in there or cleaning it yourself. Um, you can, you know, use a tissue in the very outer part of your ear to clean out any little bit of wax that moves out to the out, outer part of your ear canal. That's perfectly fine. But Going any further with a Q-tip or any other blunt object um, is not recommended for those reasons I stated earlier. Okay. Um, but a little shower water is is helpful, too, to wash out the ear as well. All right. Dr. Andrew? I was just thinking, I'm a swimmer. Yes. And so I do have earplugs, clearly. Yep. I mean, I'm one that if I did get water in my ear, um, I wouldn't like it. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So, um, the earplugs obviously only go in so far. Correct. And I imagine that distance is the distance that is the safe distance. Correct. 
Right. So I think that, you know, thinking about the anatomy of the ear, you know, some people might have not been in school that day, you yep. know, in eighth grade when yes. it was taught. <laughs> and so I think that, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a picture of an ear in our show notes. Okay. Yes. You know, just at least a nice diagram. I, I'm going to rely on you, Dr. Christie, for a nice educational sure. diagram because I think a lot of people don't realize, like the question Jennifer is asking, you know, how much is too much? How far is too far? Correct. And what can you do on a daily basis? It seems like we should know this, like, easily. Right. But many mistakes have been made. Absolutely. Hmm. Important information. Definitely. All of this. All of this. Education is key. <laughs> it really is key. And that's why it's so important that the people that we rely on, the physicians that we rely on, and, you know, the, the, the medical part of it, um, that there's communication in terms of all the levels. Because as we were talking about in the first half of our conversation, um, hearing loss can mask as a social issue or a psychological issue even. That's right. And so we need to learn how to how to speak to, let's just say, our friends or our loved ones. I mean, I have a friend who consistently misses meaning, and it's because she has hearing loss. That's right. But she doesn't talk about it. She never really <laughs> told anybody right. that she had a hearing loss. No, but other people know. But right. I don't know why we get so embarrassed. I mean, years ago, uh, hearing aids were huge. Yes. You know, you could see, you could walk up to somebody and you know they had a hearing. Exactly. They're so much better now. You know, I mean, you can they hardly really notice that that someone's wearing it anymore. Absolutely. And now they have, uh, most of them have Bluetooth capability. So you're able to, you know, Bluetooth your hearing aids to your phone, to your iPad, to your tablet, whatever it is you have, and stream signals directly to the hearing aids, just as though you were wearing AirPods or some other type of um, device. So that makes them even even better in that respect. Is Apple making these yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh, boy, they must not know about it because I'm sure they're going to start making them. Well, they, mm. yes. And that kind of brings, a, you know, up another topic about, you know, the over-the-counter hearing aids that are going to be available later this year. And that's a special class of hearing aids that will be available over-the-counter without a prescription without the aid of an audiologist to program those. Tell us about that. Because, yeah. you know, listeners are going to want to know about that. Absolutely. So they are going to be available. They're going to be targeted mainly to people with mild to moderate hearing losses. And it will be a very self-fitting type of thing. You can walk up to your Best Buy, your, um, you know, consumer electronics store, your CVS, places like that, and be able to go to the shelf and buy a hearing aid off of the shelf, take it home, fit it yourself, you know, set up the app, maybe take a little online hearing test and, you know, have a device that you can hear better with to some extent. The difference is that's a completely do-it-yourself option. And, you know, most, some people can do that just fine. They are very much do-it-yourself people. And so for them, that will, that will be a fine solution temporarily. It's not going to be for everybody, and it mm -hmm. shouldn't be for everybody. And we know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to try it that maybe it's not the most appropriate solution for them. But they're going to try it because it's less expensive. Right. And then they may say, well, gee, it didn't work. 
and maybe I'll go see a professional or maybe they'll wait. So it can either be another eight years, another eight years. That's, that's what we hope doesn't happen. But we also hope that it can get the word out that, you know, hearing is important. And even if you start somewhere, eventually we want people to come and see us because we are the experts and we, it's more of a rehabilitation process than just the device itself. Well, I think that also brings up though another um, another service. Correct. And that is that people are very you know very often. How often do we go into? You mentioned Best Buy. Yes. And we buy a computer or yep. we, we buy headphones. Yep. And we need the Geek Squad to come. There you go. Right. So we and will help be, us with it. We will be the Geek Squad of over the counter mm-hmm. hearing aids. You bet. We absolutely absolutely we will welcome it. In other words, um, you know, I want people to come to me. And I want them to come see see our, our business and learn the education and the knowledge that we have about taking care of your hearing. And that the hearing aids, whatever it is, whether you're choosing over-the-counter or whether you're buying professionally fit and prescribed hearing aids from us, um, if you need those services, we want to provide those services for you. I have a funny question. Have you gone to your son's fifth grade? What is he, fifth grade, sixth grade? He's sixth grade now. Sixth grade. Have you gone to the class? Were you invited to talk about listening and hearing and all of that? Not yet, but his teachers know that I am an audiologist, and I have given them a lot of good resources about how to help kiddos in the class, and um, the district uses um, amplified FM systems in all the classrooms to allow kids to hear the best they can. Well, I, after we come back from the break and some part of part two, part two of part two, I would like to talk about educating um, kids about the science of sound. Sure. Just like you were inspired to do maybe later on because you were already in college. But I think it would be wonderful to inspire more young people into the field because we we're going to need all the attention we can get. That's right. Such That's an important, right. Uh, such an important sensory. Our, our kids have so much access to all the good stuff. When we were eight years old, we were putting popsicle sticks in our ears. Sure. To, when there was an itch. Right. So our kids are so much smarter than we are. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would like to. Um, re- <laughs> Yeah, popsicle sticks. Did you never put popsicle sticks in your ear? <laughs> I don't even know why they make Q-tips, but um, because you're telling us not to stick those in our ears. That's either, right. Right. That's right. We're we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to this part of our incredible conversation with Dr. Christie and my co-host, my my boom goddess co-host, Jennifer Davis-Page. And we're talking about listening. We're talking about hearing and essential parts of life that sometimes are less known and a little bit more hidden in the educational realm. So we're up to talking about tinnitus. 
Yes. Dr. Christie, tell us about that and how you came to really become a specialist about that. Right. So, so tinnitus or tinnitus, as it's often called and often referred to as ringing in the ears, uh, but it can be any kind of sound that is uh, not an external sound. So it can be roaring. Some people describe it like cicadas or crickets, buzzing, humming, um, any of those sounds. Um, it can be very debilitating for a lot of people if that's something you hear constantly. It can be very loud. And there's no cure for it, but there are management techniques for it. Um, and that's where we as audiologists can kind of become an expert on how we help people through that journey. From an audiological standpoint, we can recommend hearing aids as an option. Um, because most of the time when someone has tinnitus, they also have hearing loss and wearing hearing aids can help facilitate that to give them some relief. Um, and we can also use other sound generators too, some sort of sound source that helps with that. Um, so getting into tinnitus, um, it's, it's an interesting story for me because um, I've had it most of my life. I had it as a child from a very high fever and um, my ears have been ringing ever since. And over the years, I've learned how to manage it. I didn't know what it was for a very long time till I was in high school. And I think I saw a commercial or public service announcement about what it was. I did some research and decided that's what it was. And wow. that's what I have. And so I, I learned more about it, everything I could about it. And my, my father had it. I had a lot of friends um, and family members that had it as well. And so one of the things when I got into audiology, um, I learned that there was a way to help it, that I could actually be somebody that could say, you know what, I have some recommendations. We, there are some techniques, there are some management that we can do to help that. And so that was very exciting for me to be able to say, I have this. These are the things that I've done. These are the things that have worked. These are the things that have not worked. And here's what I know from the science behind it, but also here's my personal journey of having it and dealing with it as well. And that's yeah. one of the reasons I have it as one of the core um, core areas in our practice. We have, you know, we do hearing tests, we do hearing aids, we do tinnitus management, and we do cochlear implant services. And those are kind of our four main big things that we highlight in our practice. When did you realize that you had it? How old were you when you realized? Well, I was very young. So um, when I was about four years old, I had a very high fever that landed me in the hospital for several days. And it was after that time when I came home and I told my parents that I kept hearing this high pitched sound in my ears. And, you know, my parents looked around, they said, nothing's, nothing's making that sound. And, you know, they believed me. It's not that they didn't believe me. They just said, there's nothing making that sound. But um, it wasn't real loud, but I heard it. And I heard it all the time. And, you know, it, it wasn't real bothersome to me. I was able to pay, you know, do other things. I was always an active kid and I ha always had things going on. And so, but I had that. And so it wasn't until I learned, I got into high school and learned that this is a real condition and 50 million people have this condition to various degrees. Were you into music as a child or did that come later? Yes. Um, I started playing the flute when I was about 10 years old. And so, and my parents were very um, 
very much wanted to have a lot of culture in our lives. So we went to symphony concerts and ballets and all kinds of things like that. So yeah, music was a pretty important part of our lives growing up. So what, what relationship did that have? I play the flute also. Oh, wonderful. By the way, I taught myself when I was, I was an adult. (laughs) (laughs) No no mean feat. But um, what were, um, what were the effects of playing music and the and the tinnitus. I think as I think about that, I believe it actually gave me some comfort because again, I was having to pay attention to another external sound. correct. And yeah. we know that um, music is one of the things that's used in management of tinnitus symptoms as well. So we know that music appreciation um, is part of our limbic system in the brain. We know that sometimes um, things can get out of whack and our brain can actually produce or create this phantom sound. Um, and then that creates our fight and flight response. And then we start having a negative reaction to that. And then it can go downhill from there. So if we can retrain our brain not to have a negative association to this ringing or whatever it is, then a lot of people can find relief. It may still be there, but they're no longer bothered by it to the same extent. Right. What about singing? Singing, same way. Anything that is is taking your your mind and helping it to focus on something else right. is a good thing and can help diminish those symptoms. Right. That's really important. I think it's always important for anyone who has any kind of bothersome thing right. or, or disorder or, you know, chronic or acute, what have you, that there are things within one's own control that, you know, that, that, that you can do, that you can learn to do Correct. to adapt, you know, to a situation. Now, do you wear any kind of aid? I do. Um, not full time. But I do have some hearing aids that um, I have programmed for myself to help with my uh, tinnitus symptoms when they tend to be louder. Um, I have so that helps the hearing aids itself um, does give me a little bit of of low level amplification in the high frequencies. I do have a very mild hearing loss in the high frequencies. Um, So I do wear those. And um, they also have a special type of program that also helps with giving me almost like a music type sound that I can listen to that helps to manage the tinnitus as well. That gives me some relief, too. It's wonderful to know that there are so many options. What about temporary tinnitus? Yeah, that can be caused from uh, temporary things going on. One of the biggest uh, reasons that someone might have temporary tinnitus, um, they can have uh, an ear full of earwax. And when that gets removed, then that goes away. Um, Stressful situations can can do that. Um, Injury can cause that, even foods or How other. about concerts? Sure, absolutely. Or listening to the entire loud Beethoven music. sonata on you got loud. It. Absolutely, and noise too. So a right. lot of a lot of people that are in high noise occupations, um, construction workers or in working in the mines or even first responders, military, they can all have um, high levels of noise exposure. And over time, they may not necessarily develop hearing loss from that, but they can develop that ringing in the ears that will often stay with them long after they may have are no longer in that occupation. Here's another question. It's almost more of a brain question, but sometimes people talk about earworms. Yeah. 
And can you talk a little bit about that? That's something that, you know, if you hear a sound or yep. somebody does something, sing song or whatever, that it can remind the brain, and then the brain keeps kind of repeating it. Correct. Usually with music or a song. That's that's exactly right. It's kind of one of those things that you say is stuck in my head, and there's yeah. that reason for that. Yeah, you create almost like an emotional response, whether it's good, bad to something you heard. And that's kind of what happens with tinnitus too. You can create an emotional response, whether it's good or bad. Most of the time it's negative. So what we want to do is introduce something else that can keep the brain busy to take it away from that negative response. Right. So there's a real physiological distract default kind of thing where you can sort of reset it. You got it. Yeah. Did I understand you to say that Diet is important as well? Sure. Um, There are things, some people can be more susceptible to certain foods, whether it's additives or um, salt. I, uh, for myself, sometimes, um, you know, certain nuts like almonds can make my tinnitus a little bit louder for some reason. Um, We know that certain, um, certain things like caffeine Um, can contribute to it as well. Aspirin, so certain things that are in medication can make it worse for some people, alcohol. So there can definitely be a connection with certain foods and beverages and certain additives or chemicals that can contribute to that as well. Diet, no matter what conversation you have with people, (laughs) the diet is always something that comes into play. It it affects everything we do. (laughs) Yes, you know, it does. Somebody told me I shouldn't have uh, uh, guacamole. Yeah. I wanted to hang up on that. Right, right. right. So, oh no, <laughs> right, right. Don't Every give up. day there's an oh no. Yeah, <laughs> right. There's always it's always something. Right, you know? but right. is there something you should? Is there something you should stay away from in order not to get it? No. Because it's going to be different for every person. Yeah. But those are like caffeine, alcohol, aspirin, and other substances. Those can be triggers that if you have tinnitus or you're prone to having it can sometimes make it worse. But it doesn't mean you're going to get it if you you do take those those foods or substances or whether you do or you don't. So I say, no, there's nothing, there may be nothing you can eat or not eat that's going to make it worse or make it better. I had a dirty martini the other day. Tell me that doesn't, that won't give me anything. Please tell me that won't give me anything. You know, I I would say, keep, keep drinking that martini. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Andrea, go ahead. I was just going to say that some people um, who live in very, very quiet areas, do get freaked out by the sound of silence. Yes. And they begin to somehow fill that in, not with an external um, stimulus, but with a stimulus from inside their own head. That's correct. And that is an interesting phenomenon. Right. There are so many that are connected with, you know, like even hearing voices, like you were saying, if somebody has tinnitus or tinnitus, and they start hearing something, they can kind of chain those sounds together and make something out of it and then get scared. Yes. Or then, you know, right. or, or hear voices. And sometimes they can make it positive. They can just as easily say, my grandmother is speaking to me. Right. 
You That's know. very true. And all you they know. need to do is have their ears checked, right? It may Maybe. Not be, <laughs> it might be, may not be a ghost at all. It might just be that you need to have your ears checked. That can definitely right. be the case, yes. That's what we're saying. Everything is a matter. It can be. Survival can be a matter of interpretation. It's, you know, how anybody interprets what's going on around them. Dr. So, Christie, it has been a pleasure to sit here with you and get, you. get all of this important information. Our, our clock is winding down on us. You want to tell our listeners how they can contact you and get more information Certainly. about your, your clinic? Absolutely. So the name of our business is Sonora Hearing Care, and our phone number is 520-881-8740. We're also on the web at sonorahearingcaretucson.com. Is there any other information that you'd like to, you have an email address? Yes, we do. Okay. So um, my email address is my first name. So Christy at shctucson.com. And Christy is spelled C-R-I-S-T-I. Dr. Andrea, do you have any, any other questions you'd like to ask? I don't have questions. I just have a statement. It was a wonderful conversation. And we thank you so very much for, for joining us. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank for you for having here. me. For more information, visit our website, BoomGoddessRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.